Hello and welcome to the next episode of The Prestige, a podcast about films by film lovers for film lovers. Each week we take a different film and we talk about the themes and ideas around that film and at the moment we're going director by director through the third series of our podcast and we end with recommendations each week for films to see based on what we've been looking at that week Um, and we always start in the same way we start with a look back at what we've been doing this week so Rob have you got anything to talk about? Um, oddly enough, no. Uh, oddly, this week I haven't actually watched any movies. Um, I'll be catching up on a few TV series, but I'm going to talk about something that isn't a movie, isn't a TV series, isn't a book, isn't a song, isn't a comic book. It is the Olympics, the Winter Olympics. I've been watching a lot of that in the last week. It's been a very strange experience because we stick on at work and we watch all these movies normally, and we've been sticking the Olympics on. And because it's the non sort of it's non BBC feed, you watch they watch whatever they give you. You end up watching the same sort of bits and clips all the time, repeated, on repeat. So I've seen the uh, the women's ice hockey championships like five times. It's great, uh, but you run run at a point. But no, it's just been brilliant. I, I love the Winter Olympics. It's full of random sports that I didn't know existed and infinite variations on man on skis goes down slope. Uh, and then leaps or jumps or spins or goes off the side and it, it, this, none of this is mockery I, I think it's, it's wonderful that all these tiny different sports exist and have their moment in the sun things like the, the, the shooting and the, the skiing followed by shooting um, which just is a bizarre spot to do and the luge and the skeleton bob and the two man bob and all that sort of stuff and these random little sports that have their moment to shine and I just think that's wonderful um, I'm not a sportsman. Anyone who knows me know well know that I'm not a sportsman in any way, shape, or form. Um, <laughs> Sam laughs, but I've run a marathon, so I'm going to put that one out. That is, that is the uh, the tick in my box. I did run the marathon one year, but I'm not. I'm, I'm generally not a sportsman anyway. Um, but I do love watching the Olympics. It just feels kind of I don't know holistic, and it feels um, kind of community based in a way that no other sporting thing is. You know, it doesn't have the same kind of rivalries as as other sport competitions so yeah i've been watching the winter olympics what about you sam great well i haven't been watching any films either um but i did want to talk about something on tv and it was something that i don't know whether i'm going to continue watching because not not because it was bad but because it was a little bit too good and a little bit too emotionally raw and it was the second series of a it, it does a disservice to call it a sitcom it's a um, sort of comedy drama about relationships between family members it's called mum and the first episode of the second series was set in the aftermath of the death of the main character's husband in the run up to his funeral and it was very moving, and I don't know whether I want to watch anymore. Um, but it's it's worth watching. Lizzie Manville in the type of role is brilliant. She has some able support. There is a character that you think is going to be incredibly irritating, and then it becomes clear that everyone else is irritated by her as well. Um, so yes, I'm not sure there's a recommendation or not this week, but that's the that's the main thing that I've been watching. Fair enough. Now I must say I haven't watched it myself, but I shall have to add it to the epic ongoing list of uh, movies that uh, TV shows that 
I should watch another point. Mm. But there we go. So this week, guys, we are wrapping up our, our Spike Lee season that we've been doing for the last month. Um, and we're looking at one of his most recent films, 2015's film, Chirac. This is an emergency. This is an emergency. Homicides in Chicago, Illinois, have surpassed the death toll of American special forces in Iraq. Hey, Dolomites. Welcome to Chirac. Chirac, where we at, my Chirac is a modern adaptation of an ancient Greek play, um, telling the tale, the original play, telling the tale of a group of women who bring about peace um, amongst the, the men by withholding sex. And essentially, take that, they take that whole, almost no word for word story and dump it straight in the south side of Chicago. The titular uh, Chirac, the idea being that more people die on the streets of South Chicago than have died in the entire. American sort of troops in Iraq. The entire film is told in, I suppose, spoken word rap, um, in rhyming couplets, and all sorts of different rhyming techniques. The whole movie is one long, essentially, rap song. Some fast, some slower, um, but certainly the whole thing is told in, in, in verse. And, once again, we have the girlfriends of the gangsters, the Spartans and the Trojans, the two warring factions, who decide to withhold sex from their men and attempt to bring peace after the murder of a nine-year-old on the streets of Chicago. This spirals, shall we say, and draws in people from around the world. It draws in local government. It draws in national government. It draws in all kind of people into this kind of swirling miasma of dealing with gun violence in America. We are obviously at this point nine days out, ten days out from the Parkland shooting in Chicago, in Florida. So this film certainly has a, a resonance in terms of young people dying at the hands of readily available guns in America. But it is a film that is diversive in the way it handles sort of film tone and film aesthetics. So I'm intrigued to know what Sam feels about this sort of modern day retelling of a classical movie. Um, and the different slant that Spike Lee brings to what could otherwise be a very didactic movie. Several movies that we talk about, I have, I, I haven't really changed my opinion based on our discussion. Some some movies I definitely have, and with this movie, I'm certainly up for having my opinion changed based on our discussion. Um. Because I didn't really get on board with this. Um, I can see how this is very good and saw how the um, the updating of the Greek poetry in spoken word rap was was great and the transplanting of this, as you said, this, this um, ancient tale into modern Chicago has huge resonances in a world of Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin, and and yet I just thought, well, so what? And and this is strange to me because it's something that we've looked at the past few weeks. That one of the brilliant things about Spike Lee's filmmaking is his um, 
the aesthetic of his films, the way they, they look amazing. And many, many of the films we've looked at not only look amazing, but are amazing as well. And this one, I just felt, yes, it looked brilliant. Yes, there were some great ideas, but it just left me a bit cold. What did you think? I I'm, I, I really liked it. Um... I, I really did enjoy the film. I, I must say that, and we'll touch more on this when we get to the end of the episode, talk about Spike Lee in general. This month has been a revelation to me. Um, I've always kind of put Spike Lee in the uh, angry black American filmmaking box, um, akin to, you know, a, a, a Brooklynite version of someone like Mike Lee, you know, telling tales of social realism. And I, 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 you know, I'll hold my hand up high and say I've completely misjudged the man. And this film, like, it is, it's a mess. Like, it is a mess of styles and ideas, and it doesn't really often, I mean, it has a very nice pat ending in which everything gets resolved in a nice little bow. Um, and I wasn't as, as bored on the ending as I was the rest of the film. But I just, I bought into it. I bought into these, into the world it presents, this day glow, modernistic tale of, of classical literature. You know, you've got Samuel L. Jackson playing this very, Grecian role of the kind of the narrator slash chorus that uh, that it guides us through the movie, and you know you you have bizarre mu- mu- like musical scenes in which kind of the women who are taken into the armory dance, and the bizarre way it handles things like civil the, the legacy of the Civil War characters, and you know white America, and it seemed to be saying something with John Cusack's role as as the white. Pl- um, Vicar, the white priest in in a black neighborhood, but didn't do anything with it. But I just, I just, I just like it. It was just this bizarre mess of a movie that really got me on board. Um, I will agree with almost everything Sam says about about the things that kind of don't work in this movie. Um, but I just, I really, I really liked it. I really liked it. Good. So yeah. Um, but say so, that that is coming from a, a gut reaction as a film viewer. I mean, if if as a, if to to stretch the word a little bit as a, a film critic or even a film the, uh, the, theoretical as, as we are kind of becoming on the show, I totally get how it isn't the most well made movie. It isn't the most cohesive movie. But as, as a pure viewer, it really it really bored it. But you know, I I I like Sam Jackson, and I think a lot of it kind of it's 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 pulling on a lot of other things. Um, and but I, I I dug it, so yeah. All right, I think one one of the reasons I didn't get on board with it is something you pulled out there. Like one of the, I think one one of the really important characters in the film is John Cusack, and why he is, and this is not me as a white person picking the one white character to talk about, but he is interesting. Because because he is out of place and mm. the film never really explores that and I wanted it to explore that although I, when Shadrach directly questions him on it and he has a straight answer I thought well that was quite nice I, mm. I did want more than that yeah I, I, I agree with what you're saying there. I think the film like if a film that is has black people and people of colour front and centre through the entire story and it's about this neighbourhood and it wasn't it isn't a multicultural neighbourhood in the same way we've seen other neighbourhoods and even I think for me the clearest comparison to films we've watched is Do the Right Thing 
The Do The Right Thing has a multicultural aspect to it. There are the Italians, the Koreans. It's not hugely you know, blended, but it has a... Whereas this, he is the single white person. And I felt like there was something to say there, and it wasn't said. He just says, you know, I grew up here. It's basically it. I grew up here. I have a right to be here as you do. Um, but it just felt like to include... that If that character had been black, um, and you could skip that line entirely, and you just carry on being, you know... That could have been Denzel, it could have been anybody, you know, just playing that role. But making him the one white actor in in the movie, it felt like it was ripe for saying something about, I don't know, about the the white, you know, appropriation of black pain or the idea of the white saviour or or any of these sort of tropes it could have investigated, interrogated, does it with. It didn't do anything with them. He just, he was just this nice guy who was angry and could say things in a kind of sermonistic way that other people couldn't. Um, and try and step in, and you know, he, he obviously has different styles, and he has a wonderful line, you know, that guns have become part of America's wardrobe. And he has some brilliant lines, but it just felt, I wasn't quite sure, it felt like a decision that wasn't explored. Mm. And I did, I did feel the, the this idea of the, the white saviour was something that the film was skirting dangerously close, and I, I know with with Spike Lee, he wouldn't have been thinking like that. But it, yeah, I did feel that character wasn't developed. I also thought some some of the scenes and this is a scene involving him, but it's not just involving him. The scenes around Patty's funeral in the church, there were as um, as sort of he started speaking as the the music was going on. There was a, a singer and a choir. There were shots of. Um, various, may, maybe possibly gangsters involved in the war between the Spartans and the Trojans, and then mm. there wasn't really anything done with that. And I, I, I like that idea that this church was part of their neighbourhood and part of their community, and they were, they were sort of different people in the church to the people they were on the streets. And I thought yes. that was something else that could have been explored and wasn't. Well, yeah, exactly. he has that line about, you know, I, I did your dad's funeral. And he's like, well, but there's something there about the idea of permanence of, of community and the permanence of um, the church. And but then also balance the fact that this whole scene is shot like a mafia scene. You know, it's low lights and, you know, money being parked on the table. And like, are, you, are you trying to say something about the church being mafioso? Because, I mean, the film takes shots at everybody. There's, a, there's a, a wonderful scene in which red, white and blue insurance turn up and try and insure the one remaining son um, of, of, of a lady. And it's just like, like yeah, I get it. the American insurance industry seems ripe. You've got local government, the, the, uh, the, the, the jock. Is he working? He's playing football. And he bounces it around, and he—he's that really kind of jockish character that we see in a lot of movies. And he's, you know, he's as racist, and it's, it made me laugh so much. We we talked about last week with Bamboozled, um, and the Dewitty character talking about how he's—he he wasn't racist because he's got a black wife. Um, and the and the the mayor pulled out the same line that it's okay, my wife's biracial. And it's just, it, it, that's clearly something that, that, you know, that has been said and said again. And now, I'm, obviously, we've said it all along, we can't express and understand the black experience. But it felt like this is something that you see again. It's okay, I can say these things because I've got a black friend. I'm, I'm not racist, I've got, I know a black guy. Um, and that, that, that kind of, that, that synchronicity between the two movies did make me laugh. 
Yeah, when when he says, "Oh, it's okay, my wife's Spirish," when you saw the other characters just looking at him, and you think there's a lot to be said there that they haven't said. They just mm. it felt like there was something very tired and resigned in that response. I yes. would like to see see more, particularly as it was it was brought up in Bamboozled as well. I think that, you know, interesting, you know, and I think that the. I think that's why I've really enjoyed um, the idea of, of these films, Spike Lee, is that, that, that there are so many films that sort of take the black experience and make it, you know, they're worthy of that, you know, the, the Green Mile syndrome, that, that, that black people are magical, you know, bag of arts. The idea that, the, that black people come along and save people, white people's souls. Um, or they are just, they're bad guys. And, Maybe because I've been watching, you know, Black Panther. I've watched Creed the last week or so. You know, I'm I'm very much in this kind of idea that like these films that kind of bring depth and breadth to 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 what are otherwise token black characters. And you have people. You've got the range of, you know, the gangsters and good men and bad men and these old ladies who who've you know who are. Um, sort of lawyers and doctors and they're kind of trying to change the neighborhood and then you've got the young girls and you've got the prostitutes and the strippers and the idea that, that the multifaceted black experience um is is on show here and it isn't it's strange, strange to say and it's, it's right and wrong but it isn't about being black i mean it is but the, the black experience is huge this and the idea that black people are you know that, that there's a line by um the main characters, when they're top of the roof of the armory, they say, just because we're killing each other like flies, you think you can do it as well. And it's about the death of black people. And, the, 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 I mean, for all its kind of cheesiness, the, the, the powerful scene at the end in which Chirac's trying to leave and the mothers turn up, the mothers of the hood turn up with the pictures of their murderous kids. And it's like, yes, like they, they, they're dying. But the film isn't about interrogating the racial divides. Isn't I mean, apart from how it relates to violence. Like, this film is about... The death of of young men, black young men, and the guns that exist in our our world. But as I say, it, it picks so many targets; it's hard to focus. But I think that's what Spike Lee, what I'm learning about Spike Lee films, especially in his later years, looking at bamboos on this, is that he's got so many targets he doesn't know where to shoot. Mm, yeah, it just feel that this film, the the intellect behind this film was just amazing, and he just had too many things to say and yeah it, it yeah it was a bit sort of scattergun in the way that he he presented those to his audience which i think is a shame particularly as you have something like do the right thing which is i mean i i'm disappointed in myself for not having seen it before but I'm glad I've seen it now it's it, it's a pinnacle of 20th century cinema and then to have a career that doesn't quite ever meet that mm. although there was a conversation that someone had with the author Joseph Heller after he wrote Catch 22 after he was having trouble writing writing more, and they said, well, you've never written anything as good as Catch-22, have you? And he said, well, yeah, but no one else has either. So, no. <laughs> yeah, there, there is something. There, there is a, a bit of me that thinks, well, it's a shame that it's not as good as Do the Right Thing, and there's a bit of me that thinks, well, he's a genius. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, I think that's it. I think we can, I'm, I, I can't speak enough about 
Spike Lee's film career outside of this. And I certainly, I feel kind of a draw now to watch a lot more of his movies that we have only for in a month, but there are more I could like to watch. But it does feel a little bit like he got pigeonholed into this, into this role um, as as the black filmmaker that was allowed. But you know, he talked about Bamboozle, Bamboozle being shot on mini on mini DV cameras. We talked about last week because he couldn't get funding, he couldn't get money to make film make film films. But you watch something like this, like Chirac, which which genuinely I, I still think pretty, like he's a great filmmaker. Like technically. The lighting he brings to here, the colouring he brings in here, the framing, particularly the shots. I mean, I love, I love that shot at the end in which you've got the huge American flag and Samuel Jackson's cut up. And it's a clear mirroring of the pattern speech um, from from sort of classical Hollywood. Um, and like he knows his film history and he makes great films. And whilst I think say that the targets were scattershot and some of the formats were scattershot, but he, he makes great, the technically brilliant movies. And I, you know, the, the way he handles large crowds and telling this story visually, I thought were really good. It felt like a man, a good filmmaker, really, re- like making really good movies. Mm. Politics aside. I th- yeah. And he is one of those filmmakers that will do something that's so obvious and you think yeah but it, it's brilliant and I've only just thought of that and I'm, I'm thinking of the um, the fairly obvious sort of purple and orange distinction between the Trojans and the Spartans mm. but it takes well Spartans and the Trojans but it takes so long for, it would take so long for me to work out that it was only when you had the two, um, the two, the women of the two gangs come together, you think, well, actually, I can see what he's doing now. And then you look back at the rest of the film and you think, oh, right, yeah, there has been a subtle palette of purple, but it hasn't hit you over the head, or there's been sort of shades of orange, but you haven't really noticed it. And there's something amazing about the way that he does that so subtly and then you think oh yeah of course that's obvious but it's not obvious yeah, exactly and and you know I, I just I really really very much enjoyed this movie mm. so Sam do you have some recommendations I know you weren't overly sold this movie but do you have some places you can point people to uh, to pick up the slack yeah well um, one is an actor recommendation um, Angela Bassett who was one of Lestrade's friends one of her older friends in this um, Miss Helen I believe um, was a non-credited part in Mr and Mrs Smith and I just think I enjoyed that film and we've, we've talked about Babel and um, remain unsure about that now um, looking back but it, that means that I don't think Brad Pitt's done anything as good since Mr and Mrs Smith um, and that's a bit of a shame because Mr and Mrs Smith showed him being a pretty good actor fun. given that I worked with him after that movie I feel I shouldn't comment <laughs> no I'm just, just thinking actually he was, he was alright in, in the one that you did yeah <laughs> Thanks for that. That didn't sound like pity at all. It's fine. It's absolutely fine. Um, My second one is more of a thematic link. And it's it's a fairly obvious one. But this is a link to the sort of use of archaic 
verse classical literature and a modern day setting and it's Basil Ehrman's Romeo and Juliet from 1996 which I having taught Romeo and Juliet recently I saw the film quite a lot because I saw it in lots of different classes and I didn't get bored of it too much which is it is 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 maybe damning with faint praise but I thought it was it was an enjoyable enough film so I, I've gone completely down the actor route this week um and in any no way linked whatsoever um my first we talked about him quite a lot in in this uh in this episode, and that's uh, John Cusack, who I think has struggled to find uh, good movies in his later career. Um, I certainly think that his his best work was probably 10, 15 years ago, if not older. I know we talked about them previously. Um, but the film I wanted to recommend, and just because it's a brilliant film and it needs to be made aware, is 1997's Gross Point Blank. It's one of the first films that my wife and I bonded over. Um, I think it's hilarious. I think Cusack's never been better. He's funny. He's dark. Uh, you've got Dan Aykroyd, Mini Driver. And I just think it's it's him at that kind of the peak of, of his work, sort of playing off his teenage work, his child actor work, and kind of what that man grows up to be, uh, Martin Q. Blank. If you haven't seen it, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with you. Just, just see it. It's brilliant. Uh, yeah. Um, my second recommendation is... Another actor who I feel kind of hasn't done well in later years. He showed a lot of promise, but hasn't kind of gone anywhere with it. Um, and that is the man who plays Cyclops, the uh, the alternate to uh, Chirac, the leader of, of the uh, opposite gang. Um, that's Mr. Wesley Snipes. Another man that I have worked with in my career, uh, though I've never actually met him in person. And his, in many ways, is, I think, his most iconic and classic role. Um... And that is uh, 1998's Blade. There's been a lot of talk about uh, Black Panther being the first black superhero, the first black comic book adaption. Um, and I always kind of feel like I need to shout up and say, Blade. Blade was a comic book that became an amazing, dark, violent vampire movie. And the opening scene of that in which Blade goes into a vampire nightclub in which they are pouring blood from the ceilings is visually stunning. Um, and he, Blade is as, as, as good as any kind of vampire hunter should be. The sequels are hit and miss depending on your mileage, um, but the first one is certainly a, a it's mid-90s cyberpunk, uh, matrix-infused vampire hunters. And it's great. And I, I think Wesley Snipes is an actor who has potential, has kind of not found it in his career and various personal issues. Um, but I enjoyed him in, in Chirac and I certainly enjoyed him in Blaze. So another week in which Rob recommends little or little forgotten nineties movies, which is kind of becoming my 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 for this kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> Although Blade is brilliant. It is brilliant. Yeah. It's really good. So this is our end of our, our our Spike Lee month. But so next week we're picking up with a, another director, um, and this is it's one of those weeks where I'm just kind of dropping all the kind of names. Um, from my career, I feel like I'm a massive kind of show-off film uh, nerd here. So we are going to pick up with a director who I've actually worked with, and we may we may talk about a movie that I worked on with him. Um, that might be interesting to talk about having worked with him directly. But we are going to talk about uh, Danish Danish film director Nicholas Winding Refn. I think we're going to pick up with his very first film, his film that kind of broke him out onto the. Uh, onto the film market, and that is 1996 films Pusher. 
Um, so we will, we're not, not going to do sequels, we're just going to talk about Pusher, um, but we'll pick up with that one next week. Till then, guys, we are both on Twitter at Pretty Podcast. You can find me at life underscore academic. And you can find just me at Rob Kaiju. And so we'll be back here next week, guys, with Pusher. Cheers. Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr.